Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Thanks so much for joining us for episode 125. It's amazing that we've been on this journey with uh, so many of you. And I just met this week with a podcast listener, uh, somebody who doesn't come to the church and says he thinks he's uh, uh, caught most of these. And so hello, Brian, to you. Thank you for listening. And um, thank you all for joining us for an episode where we focus again on the Christian Reformed Church, what's happening in the CRC, and um, we got a lot of very, very helpful po- feedback from the last time we recorded an episode on the Christian Reformed Church. That was one of the most popular episodes we've ever done. And uh, we're chasing the likes. We're chasing the, the views here. And so, no. Um, th- oh, there, yeah, that's all we care about. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot happening in the Christian Reformed Church. And so um, here's the perspective of two ministers um, way out on the West Coast in California. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, having grown up in the Christian Reformed Church, it's goes way back in my heritage, and so I'd maybe give a little bit of that perspective. And Zach, um, a, a recent convert to the yeah. Christian Reformed Church, and so gives that really fresh perspective, too. Um, and so we'll be discussing a little bit of what's uh, happening in the CRC leading up to a very influential and important Synod 2023, which will be happening in June. And so maybe before we jump into the content today, we want to talk about something important Hmm. in uh, what is happening in the Church uh, more broadly, and that is uh, today, the passing of a great, great minister, a man of God, Tim Keller. And so both Zach and I have been very positively influenced by uh, Tim Keller, by his writing, by his preaching, and... um, really by his, his attitude and approach to ministry. Um, we just took a few moments to recall some of the impact Keller has had on, on us and, and really on the broad church movement and, and just recognized um, really before Tim Keller, there was very little, if, to, if no, maybe, interest in planting churches in cities. Yeah. And so he, um, along with, for, for better or for worse, Mark Driscoll, um, really, really started this this movement of going to large cities, yeah. particularly in both of their cases, anti-Christian um, c- cities with lots of anti-Christian sentiment in them, um, maybe just even a lot of apathy towards the church, Keller in New York City, uh, Driscoll in Seattle. And of course, um, we've seen that the fruit of Tim Keller's ministry has been then so rich, so good, so pleasing to God, bringing glory to him. Um, hmm. certainly we can't really say the same of, of Driscoll on the other coast. And, um, and so we're just thankful for the work of this man, that um, a man without scandal attached to him, um, which is, is so common in the church today, but just a humble servant of God who loved Christ and who loved the church. Yeah, I can remember my first introduction to Tim Keller was through the DVD series for his book, The Prodigal God. Hmm. Uh, which I remember thinking was a lot like the NUMA videos in its style. Hmm. Uh, so it was uh, accessible to me as a, oh, I would have been in my late teen years. I can remember watching this with my college group uh, back in my hometown. 
And I remember thinking, this this man is really thoughtful. And then I was able to read the book, which we were doing with that group, and really appreciated all of the color that it adds to the story of the uh, prodigal son, of course. And I love the the switching of the title, the prodigal God, yeah. uh, the lavish uh, God, the, the God who is gracious, uh, far more gracious than we than we deserve. Um, and then I remember this was all sort of in the height too of the uh, new atheist movement. This is the uh, middle of the 2000s, uh, going into the late 2000s, and there was a lot of anxiety in the church about what to do with books uh, written by academics like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and so on. And I remember there was a there was sort of a felt sense of dread when it came to apologetics, at least in my oh, yeah. my neck of the woods, yeah. feeling that uh, Christianity and evangelicalism in particular uh, was sort of caught off guard by the strength of these new atheists and the sort of work that they were putting out to critique the faith. And I think a lot of Christians felt like we needed to lash back out. We need to fight back and take a really militant, aggressive stance. Uh, and I can remember coming across The Reason for God yeah. by Tim Keller, his book on apologetics, and again, a, a DVD series that he did. And the DVD series, I remember being interested in it because it was actually more conversations that he was having with people that that uh, were sort of interested in the faith or even in some cases not interested at all in the faith. And it was hearing their stories, and it was a model then for me as a as a, I was, again, probably in my early 20s at this point now, uh, it was a model of what fruitful conversations can look like. And so I think I learned from Tim Keller uh, more than anything, a, a, a sort of posture, uh, which uh, is, I think, really important. And, and especially for somebody who has a, has a backbone, and I would, I would defend Tim Keller against many people who would have would have criticized him for not having a backbone. I think he did, uh, but I think he, he modeled really well how Christians can discuss and have conversations and make friendships with people who who don't think like we do. And so there's a, there's a lot more to say, of course, yeah. about Tim Keller and his impact. But for me, personally, uh, I was really thankful for his maturity and his wisdom and that sort of approach that he modeled well for people in my generation. Yeah, the the, um, the two resources that I have used the most that he has produced is um, really one that I go to a lot, The Meaning of Marriage. And so mm-hmm. whenever I start premarital counseling with a couple, I have them watch a talk that he gave at Google. And so um, if anybody's interested in uh, hearing his thoughts on marriage, uh, go to YouTube, The Meaning of Marriage, Talks at Google is a great YouTube video that's about uh, an hour or so long. And um, there he gives, it's a really cool setting because he's at Google, which is you know a, a very uh, pluralistic uh, company. Yeah. <laughs> at the time, very pluralistic. Now it's probably even moved in a more um, homogenous uh, yeah. uh, ideological direction Likely. since then. Um, but at better the time, be quiet. They're probably listening to us. Yes, they'll <laughs> block <laughs> us somehow. Um, and so uh, there he's, he's introducing Christian marriage to a pluralistic group and giving a really, um, to me, uh, beautiful vision for, for what marriage is. And, um, and I would say, um, as a complementarian, giving uh, good uh, evidence of the beauty of complementarian marriage. Um, not 
not so much getting into those weeds during that talk, mm-hmm. but uh, but certainly hinting that that God has a design for marriage that is is good, and and when we live into it, um, there's there's a rich blessing involved there, and so. Um, I use that resource mm. most often, and but one that has influenced me a lot is his book, Center Church. Mm. And just in the first few pages of Center Church, you'll see there's going to be a lot of wisdom there. He draws a con- the distinction between being a church that's just faithful, um, which is a, a good thing generally, of course, but he, he says it can become uh, a, a, an excuse to have <laughs> no fruit, actually, mm. in a church where we're just faithful and people can kind of be jerks about faithfulness yeah, sometimes, yeah. Um, uh, doctrinal faithfulness. And, and so he, he wants to caution against um, hmm. seeing faithfulness uh, in and of itself, just uh, almost a caricature of faithfulness um, that's going to be fruitless. That's a, that's a danger. And on the other side, he says there's the obsession with success. And, yeah. and those churches that get um, really wrapped up in numbers and in people who are uh, listening to a podcast or um, uh, coming to church or what the budget looks like, um, that can become a thing unto itself as well that really distracts from faithfulness. And so yeah. he says it's it's not really that we have to choose between um, just faithfulness or just successful, but to be a fruitful church is what he calls a congregation to be, and fruitful mm. because we have, we're abiding in Christ and, and we're faithful to him. And when we have that, uh, we'll have yeah. a spiritual success that we'll see um, of, of growing in faith. And so he, he's just um, so helpful. Um, he's not a hard liner, and he was criticized a lot for that, as Zach was referring to yeah. earlier. Oh, but man, I've seen him absolutely uh, blasted by, by people. Yeah, uh, but yet at the same time, uh, he did stand firmly on God's Word and was a Christian minister and mm-hmm. in good standing and, and a man who, who brought glory to, to God in, in what he did. So he Absolutely. did pass away today, very sadly, for the sake of his family and for um, those that, that were close to him, uh, you know. Yeah, and it, the it church. Is good to pray. I, I, th- yeah. I think it is a great loss. He was only 72, so yeah. Uh, yeah. He who knows? He could have had more of an impact, but mm-hmm. the Lord called him home, and the Lord uh, has done right in doing so. Um, yeah, so uh, maybe a housekeeping note um, to shift gears, I guess, a little bit. This is my last episode for yeah, the summer. Just a reminder for everyone. Yeah. yeah, and so in two days, I'll be boarding a plane to London to go um, cycling with my father for nine days there in England, and that's the beginning of my 11-week sabbatical where uh, my family and I will be kind of bouncing around the globe a little bit, spending some time in Europe as a full family as they join me after school is done and then visiting with family members in Wisconsin and Illinois and Indiana and British Columbia during the rest of the summer. So Yeah, so it's an exciting time. Uh, yeah. In some ways, it's a daunting time for me, stepping <laughs> into the role of pulpit ministry. Uh, you got it. Uh, but it will be a fun summer in the book of Ephesians. So that means mm-hmm. that there will be, of course, changes, which we've been letting you guys know for a few weeks now uh, with the podcast. There's going to be uh, some episodes being released over the course of the summer. We will not be a weekly podcast for the summer uh, months uh, from n- now up until mid-August when we will, Lord willing, uh, re- return to our weekly podcasts. Uh, so in the meantime, you'll see episodes being released, and I will introduce our, our special hosts in, in that first podcast. So I'll just, yeah. I'll hold on to that. I'll keep that close to the chest because I'm really excited for it. Yeah. Uh, and I think it'll be a, it'll be a fun venture for the both of us. He's a listener. 
He is a listener. And so that's kind of yes. cool. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, become friends the, with him. The apprentice through, through will the become show. the master. Uh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. Really, really looking forward to it. Keep an eye out that then in the weeks ahead for episodes to come out uh, where him and I, it is a he, uh, we will be talking about various things, just yeah. as Mark and I do here uh, week to week. Uh, yeah, as the, we, there's a lot to talk about, right? Oh, there yeah. will be a, it's a big summer for the CRC and for Absolutely. you too, Zach. I'm curious to listen in and, and hear your updates along the way. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe I will, uh, I, I will give them. But uh, yeah, as you said, it is a big summer for the CRC. Last year at this time, I was uh, (laughs) neck deep in reading uh, for the three agendas that we had for last year's Synod. And this year, uh, though there is less reading, I I believe there is uh, no less uh, tension or difficulty. it's it's a it's a big time uh, coming up in Senate. It's a big deal, and so consider it all joy, brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I I think that should be our attitude is to say we're working working things out. It's tough, yeah, but it can be good. Yeah, it's a it's a good time for yeah. our denomination having these kinds of conversations, and so yeah, Mark and I we don't feel like we are reporters of mm. what's going on in the CRC. There are people who can do that and have done that far better than we have uh such as i don't know i really appreciate paul vanderclay's videos on the crc mm-hmm. or there's the messy reformation um there's there's other places to look there's of course the banner there's different online forums mm-hmm. and so we we don't want to be reporting so much but we we do want to sit back and ask what is going on uh in the life of our denomination right now what are some things that we are praying for as we approach Synod? Uh, and what are some thoughts we're having as we are hearing conversations unfold about what to do with the HSR and the ongoing discussions regarding confessional status? Uh, of course, last year at Synod 2022, which I was blessed to attend, the decision was made regarding Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 108, the word unchastity, uh, we declare that there was conf- a confessional status to different uh, interpretations of, um, or an interpretation of Heidelberg Catechism 108 on the word unchastity. And one of those meanings of that word would included homosexual sex. Uh, and so, among others, yeah. Among others, yeah. And so, this has led to, of course, uh, ongoing discussions and debates. Uh, I just counted this morning that there are 33 overtures for the agenda for Synod 2023 that have in some way or another to do with the HSR and responding to last year's decision. Most all of those overtures, I would say with with exception to about, oh, I don't know, five or six, that's my guess, would be overtures trying to seek the the reverse, the reversal of the decision made last year. And so... To say that Synod 2023 uh, is going to be a a hot discussion, <laughs> a heated discussion, uh, I think would be a little bit of an understatement. It will be uh, very similar to how it was last year, where it was it was indeed a heated discussion. Uh, it isn't to say that things got out of hand yeah. by any means. I, I think it was a fruitful discussion. It was uh, a collegial discussion. There was lots of hugs and and handshakes being given out between people who were having debates from the floor of Senate. And so I, I saw those kinds of things. And uh, of course, 
I was on the side of those who uh, who voted for the passing of the HSR, and so I was I was thankful at the end of the week, and I realized that that may not be the case for many on the other side. But overall, I would say last year was a fruitful uh, synod, and this year I think will is is shaping up to be similar in many regards, and so I think I am I'm of course praying, and I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah, as we get closer, um, there's a lot of material being produced. And, um, yes, there is. <laughs> I think a little bit of uh, like the video uh, video game, that these, these, maybe it's kind of a crass analogy, but <laughs> there's like these fight in, fighting video games, you know, Street Fighter types and mm. the games, and a new challenger has entered the arena, you know? And, and, <laughs> and so um, that, that yeah. has, has happened with a new group that's, that's going to be... Um, uh, trying to influence, um, you know, uh, more power to them for for getting the word out there. I suppose to some extent, um, yeah, they and and using totally have the right to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. To um, and and this the group is called Better Together with um, a, a very vaunted list of uh, mm-hmm. leaders and um, those who uh, are supported on a sort of board. It's it's hard to tell exactly how the organization runs just by reading the website, but. Mm-hmm. Um, public support from um, some very, very significant leaders in the, the yeah. history of the Christian Reformed Church. Um, and so Better Together is pushing for um, just what you would guess by their name, that that we would not split as a denomination over this matter of um, hu- sexual ethics, I, I would guess we could broadly say. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so producing material... Um, putting things on YouTube, um, an ad in the banner that was uh, was very concerning, of course, to many people. Um, and, and so, this is the group that is pushing us towards uh, or, or wanting us to hold on to unity. And so, that's a lot of what we want to talk about in this episode: is yeah. um, what what biblical support would would they see, and um, how would we just to be quite honest see things differently than what Better Together is pushing towards. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I, I would start with just noting that they're late to the game and the decision has been made. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it's, a, it's a little bit too bad that this is happening now instead of making a, a strong push for this really a year ago and really a year and a half ago at this mm-hmm. time because the decision has been made by the previous synod that this is a confessional matter. We're, we're dealing with matters of sin and therefore a matter of salvation. And so that decision was made. And um, according to our, our church order and procedures, um, a, somebody can come to synod with an overture if there's new information or if, if something has been, has, maybe a, a situation has changed. Hmm. And so therefore... Uh, you know, we, we've learned more, that, or there, there's a different situation right now that we can come to synod and say, this decision was made in the past, and we're looking to overturn this. Thinking particularly of something like the Belgic Confession's criticism of Anabaptists. Hmm. And so... Which what, there is an overture for. Right, and so the, the, the criticism of Anabaptists in the Reformation era, I mean, they were absolutely extremists, certainly in cities like Munster. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a strong repudiation of the Anabaptist movement. Um, But does every Anabaptist fall into that extremist category now? 
well, no, and so therefore you would have an overture like what we have today, or um, you even have edits, I believe, made by the RCA, um, hmm. taking whole parts out of the Belgic Confession that criticize uh, the damnable error of the Anabaptists yeah. and so forth. And so something has changed, and, hmm. and we could recognize that, so a, a change is, is brought then to synod. Whereas maybe I would even say a point of order for a synod to consider is that the decision was just made, mm-hmm. and if these overtures aren't really presenting any kind of change um, or saying the situation is now different um, concerning these matters, um, I, I think that they should actually be counted out of order, at, at these at these overtures, because um, yeah. there's, there's nothing that's, that's different than what was presented already last year. Yeah, that's a fair point. Your knowledge of the church order is is better than mine, yeah. I will say. Uh, I and, was a little bit familiarized with it last year, yeah. uh, just being uh, in all the reading of, for Agenda, or for the Agenda Descended 2022, uh, but... Uh, but anyways, we want to get a, a little point. bit more into the substance of, yes, of the, their uh, argument, Of I the guess. better together argument, yeah. which is, uh, it's an argument for, as the name implies, as you said, sticking together, staying, staying in one uh, denomination together. Despite and the so, differences, right, of, of people, how people think, which is maybe about 20 to 25% of people who would disagree mm-hmm. with the decision of the last synod, that these people would be suggesting churches should be allowed to choose locally in their council to officiate same-sex weddings, um, mm-hmm. have a same-sex, uh, a same-sex attracted clergy, for example, who would be like a, a woman who would be married to a woman who would be pastoring a church, um, just mm-hmm. to like get really practical there are many, well, yeah, many, I guess you could say, in the Christian Reformed Church, a, a, a very vocal minority mm-hmm. who would say that that would be a good thing for a local ch- Christian Reformed Church to do, and then there would be a, a, a large majority who would say that would be sinful. Mm-hmm. And so Better Together is saying this should be determined on a local level. Yeah, and so it is a a, coale- or a coalition, you might say, of, uh, from what I can tell, uh, progressives and moderates. It doesn't seem to me to be full of uh, sort of dyed-in-the-wool traditionalists or conservatives who who hold very strongly to uh, the traditional sexual ethic uh, as it's been believed um, for the se- last several centuries, millennia, however long you you, you want to yeah, say. Sure. Uh, I would I would suggest it's been around for. Since the time of Christ, <laughs> uh, but it is, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's an interesting collection of group of of people who are trying to say we should we should stick it out for the sake of the mission. We should put in the front seat the mission of the church, which is of course to make disciples of all nations, and therefore the, these minor issues they would say uh, regarding sexual ethics we can uh, agree to disagree, and as you said, uh, do a sort of local option allow local bodies to to decide for themselves one way or the other in much the same way that our denomination currently uh, has the discussion regarding uh, women's ordination set up. Uh, Local classes can decide for themselves whether or not that's acceptable. And then even if the classes says that it's acceptable, even a local council gets to decide whether or not they they deem it uh, acceptable for them, for their particular congregation. That is seeming to be the the gesturing of better together that we would operate in such a way 
and like we, we do would, on the women's issue, they would refer often to that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, there's a lot of thoughts that I have. Uh, if anyone listening to this has heard Paul Vanderclay's uh, uh, recent video, I think it was from about a week ago now. We are recording on the day of the podcast's release, so it is May 19th. If you go back about a week from today, you can find Paul Paul Vanderclay's episode where he talked about Better Together. Yeah, it's a very Uh, good episode. Highly recommend. I I think Paul's right in saying that there's something good about Better Together. We can can look at that and see that that these are people who want to seek unity. They want to keep having conversations. Uh, They they want to keep working it out as best as they can. I I in total agreement with that sort of uh, idea. I am in disagreement over whether or not we now is the time to continue having conversations as though uh, we've not been continuing to have conversations. The question then becomes for me: How long can we tolerate a a strong disagreement about ethics? Putting aside sexual ethics. Uh, what if there were a group of Christians in the CRC who said, we can go back to the kinism yeah, thing yeah. and racism. It's okay to be racist. It's, we can d- disagree. We can a- agree to disagree on this one and we can put it aside for the sake of the mission so we can we can tolerate having having pastors from their pulpits preaching a, a Against toleration. Against interracial marriage yeah. or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they can, and they can say that racism is okay from the pulpit. What would, what would we do with that as a denomination? Well, we've actually already strongly moved against that and declared kinism, a particular brand of racism that was actually apparent in the CRC uh, in recent memory, just several years ago. Uh, there was a, a church uh, where the pastor was found teaching this and was deposed by synod. Uh, I think they left before he was deposed. Okay, so yeah. you know the story. That's yeah. a, this is all after I've gotten but, here. But then... Sort of even after they the church left the yes, CRC, declaration then, was then made. we d- still declared it. Yes, that, yeah, that it was is it a heresy, which is the strongest term, you know, yes. of a false teaching. And so, could we have just agreed to disagree with that and just say, hey, you know what, this, this ethical question, it's not, it's not a big deal one way or the other. Really, it's not a salvific issue. Somebody might say we're all baptized, we all share the same baptismal identity. And so let's just just move along with it. Uh, I I can't happen, but I can't help but disagree. <clears throat> yeah. Very very strongly with that. I think for the sake of unity, uh, we need to enact discipline, and that's what well would have taken place mm-hmm. had that church remained in the CRC. Yeah, and this is where we want to maybe shift into how what biblical support is there for a movement like the Better Together movement, and how is some how is the scripture, um, I believe, being, I would say, misapplied in that context. So uh, the, the great mantra of those who want us to stay together uh, or on this issue, uh, even despite disagreement on this issue, is the prayer of Jesus in John 17. Hmm. And so I'll, I'll read the, the passage that is often referred to, John 17, particularly verses 20 through 23. And uh, so Jesus is praying to the Father there, and he says, I do not ask for these only, meaning his disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be, they all, sorry, I'll restart, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you 
that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So that is obviously showing that Jesus uh, loves when we are in unity, how good and pleasing it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And then we also have a passage like 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, which refer to the unity of the body of Christ, where we need one another, um, the different parts of the body under Christ who is the head, uh, uh, cooperating, valuing one another. And um, and he, he even uses Trinitarian language to, to, to point that as the Father and Christ are one, which is an amazing unity, um, that he, he, he's praying that that is the unity that's seen in the church as well. Hmm. And so this, this passage is, is often used to, um, to discourage division over all kinds of different issues, um, and including this matter concerning sexual ethics. Now, um, I guess where I might, I might offer some commentary on, on that is just to encourage people to read all of John 17. Hmm. Um, because yeah. as, as there's this old saying, it's maybe a little bit cliche at this point, but uh, a, a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. And that's, um, hmm. Don Carson, I know, would say that, the New Testament scholar. A text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. And by proof text, he means uh, a, a passage that's taken out of its um, context. O- context and its overall purpose in, in, the, in the broader context of where you'd find it and used for something that, that would be a misapplication. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, it is awesome that people want to use scripture to justify the direction that our denomination needs to be going. So certainly we would want to applaud that, that mm-hmm. impulse, that, that really we don't want to be making big decisions without saying, what does the Bible say about this and, and what passages would support this course of action? Mm-hmm. So, so in that regard, I would want to applaud right, the Better right. Together group and people who would say, uh, we've, we've got to build our... Our, our theology, our beliefs, and our direction of our, our churches on the scriptures. However, uh, this is a, a really, a, I would say, a classic example of an unhelpful proof text. So th- they see something good in that passage, Jesus' prayer for unity. And, and that's, as Zach said, that's our prayer for unity in the church as well. But said in the broader context of John 17, um, I'm going to preach on John 17, actually, this Sunday, and um, it, it's very clear there that, that the great contrast in that chapter is a, a distinction between Christ and the world hmm. and his people and the world. Hmm. And so um, we can see that in that context, Jesus is saying he, he's, he's praying for unity in the church because we're going to need unity a, as a blessing for us in the church because the world hates uh, the world hates the church uh, because he's given us his word, he says, right in an earlier verse. Mm-hmm. And um, and he says, I, I'm not praying, Father, that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. And then he continues, sanctify them in the truth, and your word is truth. And so there's all of this, um, this contrasting between Christ in the world 
and the church and the world. And uh, the telos of unity in this context is the glory of God, um, the, the sharing of the gospel, right? And so he said that we would be unified so that the church might believe the gospel message. And um, what it's unfortunately often being applied to is a unity at all costs. And uh, that's not really in the context here of what Jesus is praying about in John 17. So I would just encourage people, just read the whole chapter, and, um, and you'll hopefully see that's in a context of sanctification, unity with God through Christ, and, um, and needing one another because there's going to be opposition to the gospel message. Yeah, I think that there's absolutely a sense in which those who use this passage for the cause of unity are, are correct. I, I think it, it is that. Yeah. Uh, Jesus does pray that they may all be one. Uh, I think he recognizes then that there is a tendency towards division and divisiveness. Uh, but what is our oneness around? That, that must be our question. Uh, is our is our oneness established in our common history? Is it in our common uh, identity and heritage? Are we the Dutch Church? No, that's that's not what it is. Are we are we established? Maybe we're established about our oneness of our mission. You know, we've all yeah. been given a mission. Uh, well, if we're having disagreements about what that mission and what that proclamation of the gospel entails, then we need to take a step back and realize that. Though we may want to foreground our mission and put in the background our differing ethics, we must realize that as those whose mission it is to proclaim the gospel, which is the good news of Christ uh, to sinners, that we must be able to know what sin is and be able to offer the the righteousness that Christ gives. And if we if we think of the gospel as a as God's pat on the back for people. Then we can think we could think, oh yeah, we are united in our mission. But if if we think of the gospel as a proclamation for sinners to repent and to turn to the one true God in faith and humble confession of sin, and to be renewed, to be to die to who they once were and be raised to new people, which is I think the biblical gospel. We see that all over the New Testament. Uh, I think of Romans chapter six, Ephesians chapter four. Uh, all sorts of places. This is Mark chapter one, repent and believe the gospel. These, these are the sort of things that the gospel is about. If we differ on our, what the mission even is, we are, we can't say that we have unity in our mission. And so we need to be united. And so I think is a good, helpful uh, corollary to John 17, we can look at Philippians chapter two, uh, a famous passage. And for good reason, Paul writes there, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Uh, and so he, can, he continues, of course, then giving the example of Christ and how Christ did this. He, he enters into what some believe is even a sort of early creed in the Christian church. But I think having that same mind, we must be of the same mind. We are very clearly not of the same mind. We are not in, in full accord and agreement on what is to be done and what our calling is as Christians. And so it means we need to step back and, and discuss. And when it can be seen that there is false teaching amongst the Christian body, the, the church, 
the apostolic witness is not, hey, you're all just still one together. Don't worry about it. Keep pressing forward. It will resolve itself. No, the apostolic witness to us given throughout the New Testament is that you must get rid of false teachers. You must bring hmm. false teachers to account. Uh, you must... Don't even invite them into your homes. Yeah. And so there's yeah. a... There is a... Is there a, div- a divisiveness? Oh, absolutely there is. And that divisiveness is for the sake of unity. Uh, now... And I say all of this, I, I, I should sort of explain myself a little bit. I say this as somebody who really loves things like ecumenism, the ideals of ecumenism. Uh, I can, I've seen it go wrong, obviously, in the 20th century. Ecumenism was kind of a train wreck in, in so many ways. Uh, but I'm some, someone who really loves the, the, the body of Christ, uh, where, where it can be found. And so I, I love other kinds of Christians, of other of other denominations, of other traditions. I, I have a deep affection for them, and I have a deep reverence for, for different traditions. Uh, just yesterday, I was talking to two friends of mine that I, I do ministry with here in Ripon, uh, friends of mine who are in a Grace Brethren denomination, which sort of comes out of Anab- the Anabaptist tradition. Uh, and we have a lot of hmm. differences that mm-hmm. are really clear to us. Uh, on how we think there's actually a lot of similarities and there's some some shifts that are happening in their denomination from what it sounds like uh to where i think where there's some more of a of a collaborate collaboration that they have and they feel towards uh calvinists uh which is which is amazing cool to see and amazing (laughs) uh and so that that's fun to discuss with them yeah at least the ones here in Ripon are, are sort of, uh, in some ways, warm towards Calvinists. I've heard that of Mennonite communities, too, yeah, actually. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's really fascinating. Yeah, actually, at a Gospel Coalition yeah. conference, I met a Reformed Mennonite, yep. which, yeah. to this day, kind of blows the categories in my mind. But, uh, hey, God bless them. Uh, and so I, I love this. I treasure that. And that's something that I... I know many in the Reformed conservative world are sort of, uh, I hold people at, at arm's length, mm. uh, especially those who uh, are, of course, outside of our Protestant tradition, those of the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches. Uh, and even there, I, I feel a deep sense of appreciation for them, and that may put me at odds with some <laughs> in, in the CRC. I don't know. Mm. Uh, who knows what kind of backlash I'll get for saying that. <laughs> Uh, but I have an appreciation for those traditions, though I have my serious differences and disagreements. So all of that to say, I don't take this idea of oneness and of unity lightly. Uh, yeah. I, I can remember in a book that I read by a OPC theologian named Rob Letham. Uh, he wrote a book on Eastern Orthodoxy, actually, and it was a great book. It's called Through Western Eyes. And at the very end, he... He does use John 17 to remind Reformed Protestants that we do need to take John 17 and the prayer towards oneness seriously. That, too, is doctrine. Hmm. Uh, we need to think through the doctrine. We can't just be always trying to split off and to purif- keep our doctrine pure, uh, but we live in this tension, of, and doing this is difficult. But we have to say that where there is false teaching, false teaching must be dealt with, uh, and it must be... Uh, uh, battled with truth uh, and so that is i think what synod should be it's not just a time for us to sing kumbaya i hope as a denomination uh, 
but it should be a time for truth to, to get a hearing and for truth to be assented to and turned to with humility and reverence and awe. Yeah, I, um, man, there's a lot of thoughts that I have as you've been chatting and a lot of awesome ideas there. Um, I think um, that irenic spirit is reformed. And so Herman Bovink famously yeah, a, said at, at the end of one of his lectures, he, he, he's talking about the, the beauty of Calvinistic theology. And mm-hmm. then right towards the end, he says, but Calvinism isn't the only truth. Yeah, he's and, talking about America in that, yeah. and how he realizes that American America is not really going it's to not become gonna, a Calvinist yeah. country. <laughs> it's not going to go well for Calvinism in America, particularly because of individualism and yeah. uh, sort of the, the high view of ourselves. And he says, but like, Basically, he says something to the effect of "God bless them," and I know that Calvinism isn't the only truth. Which yeah, it could sound like pure proto postmodernism. I don't think that that's what what Bob Inc. meant by it. Though. No, I think he believed in the Holy Catholic Church. Yeah, and so therefore we recognize that that's not just the Christian Reformed Church. Of course, mm-hmm. um, thankfully we've moved away from that. I, hearing old stories of of older people. Um, wondering if their RCA cousins um, would go to heaven someday almost. Hmm. I'm glad we're, that we're done with those days. And we can move, um, thankfully, I think, by the Spirit in a more ironic, ecumenical direction. Um, that, that it, I went to a Roman Catholic Mass recently, and I just realized I had not done that ever before. And so um, just went and, and, and I enjoyed uh a lot of it, I would say, I, I really did struggle with with some of it, particularly beginning the service with so much focus on Mary and and really yeah. worship of her, and so that was a problem, of course. Yeah. And I wouldn't uh, suggest that a, a baby Christian would would go and experience that, but a, a Christian yeah. who's solid in your faith and could perhaps appreciate some of uh, the blessing of that, I, I would say it could be a good experience. And then mm-hmm. this this coming next week, I'm going to be sitting in Anglican churches and. Um, from what I've learned about them, they're they're of a more liberal stripe of uh, the yeah, churches that I'll be going to. The, the Bishop of Durham, the Bishop of York, being yeah. among those who are are pushing the Church of England in a in a direction I I think it ought not go. Um, but yet still going to those those sacred mm-hmm. spaces and trying to enjoy them, and even who knows, even having some conversations which I I hope are productive and fruitful with people in those churches. Um, mm-hmm. And so desiring unity. Is absolutely what we want to see, but um, for the, for the sake of the glory of God, because it does hurt the name of Christ mm-hmm. when we don't get along in the church, when church splits happen, mm-hmm. um, it does damage our witness to the world. Like so, we can recognize that um, Jesus is praying that we would be one, so that our message would be believed, and we recognize the converse will, will also be true that when we are not one that our message will be hampered. Hmm. And so even as we start to close this episode out, hmm. we could ask, what does it take to get to that unity? I think that yeah. that's maybe what the Christian Reformed Church is, is mostly thinking about at God, this synody. move of God's spirit. That's, yeah. that's what it will take. But even what does that look like? So I would say, what does it take to get to that unity? It's that, according to Philippians 1, we would be of one mind. Mm-hmm. However, it seems like some in the Christian Reformed Church are saying, maybe they would hear that question, what does it take to get to that unity? It will be to talk about unity and, and to stay... be okay with being of two minds. If to we're just stay okay. united. <laughs> to we're, stay united. Yeah. That, that's what it takes to get to that unity, um, which is, to me, a very superficial unity. Hmm. Um, and uh, we can 
now don't get me wrong, I think we can be united in all kinds of um, adiaphoric matters, and, and by that I mean uh, debatable matters. Um, if, if somebody comes into to our church um, and, and really strongly believes in um, post-millennialism, for example, I'm not a post-millennialist, um, more of an, an optimistic amillennialist, um, we could have unity with that person and, and maybe they strongly believe in it, and, and I could even see some biblical merit to that idea. And I, I do believe I could have unity in that matter. It's, to me, not a salvation issue. I think that's pretty well established, I would hope. Yeah, so um, that's a big thing. What are salvation yeah, issues? exactly. And so what, what, are, what is unity built on? Um, it's being of one mind yeah. concerning what is the gospel, and included in that is what is sin. Um, Article 23 of the Belgian Confession says, Our blessedness lies in the forgiveness of sins. Hmm. And so we have to establish what yeah. sin um, means, basically. And and there's, that's where we are not united with some in the Christian Reformed Church. And so just saying we can be united doesn't actually produce that unity, I guess is my overall point. And um, I, this yeah. would require for them to repent of false teaching and and repent of a lifestyle that is against God's word, which sounds like really bold and brash language I recognize, but it happens. We've heard stories of it. Mm-hmm. We've heard stories of conversion of people who said, wow, when I really got serious about sin and the gospel, and somebody s- said to me plainly that this ought not happen in my life and I should ha- shouldn't even have these, des- these desires for yeah. what, what are against God's will, transformation happens and... Um, and, and that's what we preach you know, in, in the Christian Reformed Church is, yeah. is forgiveness of sins and transformation of, um, of our lives in every way. And so hmm. uh, what is unity around? Is it just saying we're united and we'll agree to disagree on this matter? I don't think that that could be possible. Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. Our unity, be, unity must be around Christ and the gospel. We've been talking about what that entails. I think, I think that's a great point that you bring up mark about uh, that, that we can we've we, there's evidence there's plenty of evidence of people's lives being changed those who are in the so-called lgbtq uh, community uh, who have been called out from that and that their lives do change and they find yeah. joy in christ that yeah. is not only possible uh, that is something that is actual it, it, it does happen there's there's plenty of evidence plenty of examples of this and it's not people who've been brainwashed to believe something or have gone through some some crazy counseling in most cases it's just someone who has heard the gospel and has said this uh, this is what I want to give my entire life to I will I will sacrifice anything I will carry my cross for this I will give my life to follow to follow Christ and so that is something that I think all Christians can recognize that that is what cr- all Christians all believers uh, have had ex- have experienced in their own lives being called from the old man being in Adam to being now in Christ being made new and and being a part of God's new creation and what yeah. he is doing to restore and renew all things and so I'm really appreciative for example of the videos from the abide project that yeah. they've put up uh, interestingly they've have had a lot of voices from the uh, outside of the CRC come in because it seems to me that a lot of the messaging of the in this inside the CRC from those who are a, a part of the LGBTQ world 
are those who are affirming. Mm. And so a lot of people in the CRC have been hearing stories of people who have come out as gay or lesbian or transgender and have are trying to make the CRC adapt and adopt that position. Uh, and so I could imagine there are many in the CRC who have never heard stories like Wes Hill or Sam Albury or Rosaria Butterfield or so on and so forth, uh, because there sometimes can be a little bit of a silo effect mm-hmm. uh, in, in the CRC and not r- realizing what's going on out outside in the broader world. And so I've been thankful for, for those videos. Yeah, Rebecca uh, McLaughlin was recently on in, uh, yeah, in an yeah. excellent episode where she talked about her own same-sex attraction yep. and her marriage that's very fruitful and good. And, yeah. um, and again, yeah, hearing that excellent voice and so we highly commend to you to to check out the abide projects interviews that they've recently done to hear those voices mm-hmm. um so um yeah any any further thoughts zach as we start to wrap up or yeah uh i, I will just say i am really not sure what will happen at synod 2023 i I, hmm. I hope that it goes in a way that will be pleasing to the lord and will bring him glory uh, and will bring true unity in our church uh and so to that end, I am praying, uh, I am hopeful, uh, but I'm going to be waiting for things to unfold just like the rest of everyone else. Yeah, there's so much that's out of our hands. And, and it's, it's yeah. humbling to, to go through this as a denomination um, and realize uh, we can have conversations with, with people that, that hopefully will be helpful and, and loving um, and truthful. But ultimately, it really is up to that's the spirit, um, what is decided there. And, and hopefully delegates come with a knowledge of the word of God and of what it means to be reformed and, um, and, and move forward, um, showing love, not just to one another, but even in how comments are made at Synod to show love to those in the, the queer community. I don't always know exactly what to refer to it as, um, but uh, mm-hmm. the, the gay community, LGBTQ plus, I'm not actually a huge fan of because it's a yeah. it's such a, a, a disparate group of people. Yeah. Um, and so, anyways, I, I I hope that God is exalted, truth is spoken, people are are loved in the name of Jesus, and that the Christian Reformed Church would benefit from moving forward, hopefully in unity and resolve around. Uh, Christ and the Word of God, um, and and not just saying we have unity, that is really I would say a superficial unity, but a real unity. That's what Jesus is praying for yeah. that we would have a real profound unity in Him, knowing what His Word says, and and just going with that. Yeah, and so we will continue praying towards that end. We ask that you would join us, those of you yeah. who are listening from the CRC or even outside the CRC, be praying for this denomination. And again, just a reminder, in the weeks ahead, as we transition into our summer period this year, uh, there will be more sporadic episodes. So keep an eye out in the weeks ahead for episodes to begin being released. Uh, We're looking forward to you joining us for those future conversations. And maybe sometime when Mark is back, we can sort of rehash Mm. Synod 2023. But uh, that is if the Lord wills. Until then, we... Say grace and peace to you all. Yes, goodbye everyone and have a great summer.